0: Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you. If you have those, we're going to look at the book of Joshua this morning, the first chapter, Joshua chapter 1. We've been on a series the last few weeks answering some of life's more difficult questions. The first week, we asked the question, Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? is a big question. And so if you haven't heard that, you can go online and kind of catch up there. Last week, we talked about life's fairness. Why isn't life fair? Why is there so much injustice in the world? What do we do when bad things happen to good people? And that's an important question. And today we want to talk about the future and its uncertainty. Why is it so hard to face into the future when we're so uncertain about it? So much bad report and bad news seems to be coming to us. So how do we face the future in a faithful, meaningful way? So we'll talk about that today. And we have much, I think, we can learn from Joshua and God's instructions to Joshua as he takes over leadership of the nation of Israel after the death of Moses. So that's our text today, Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read these first 11 verses of that chapter. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words up on the screen for you. And as is our custom, I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. God inspires today through his word. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Human beings seem to have a have a strong, almost insatiable appetite to know the future. In fact, folks get desperate for the future, and so we have in our own culture, for example, palm readers. You can go to shops in Muncie and pay a fee, and someone will read your palm, try to predict your future. Spiritualist mediums are here and there, you know, you can see them on TV. Uh, people read their daily horoscope astrology charts and that sort of thing Uh, the the psychic hotline phenomenon in america is now a billion-dollar industry a billion dollars people calling psychic hotlines trying to uncover discover the future because of its uncertainty and people's curiosity about now look up here at me just for a moment you don't have to do it very long i promise all of these things that I've just mentioned, at the very best, is nothing but a fraud to try to separate you from your money. And at the, at the very worst, it is a demonic deception that can become a very serious problem in your life spiritually. And so I recommend that you, you not uh, t- uh, take interest in any of those things which I've just mentioned. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 7, Solomon says to us, since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? And we have all these voices in our culture today uh, predicting gloom and doom. I mean, you've heard them, right? You know, this is going to go bad. That's going to implode. The other thing is going to unravel. And so we have all of these negative, uh, gloomy, dark cloud over our head kinds of predictions that come to us. And yet God wants us. God wants us to be hopeful. He wants us to be optimistic. He wants us to imagine our future as useful and fruitful. And not in this just depressing mode. So today, what I want to do is examine the instructions that God has given Joshua, who was facing arguably the most uncertain kind of future, and make the application to our own life so that we can all face into a more expectant future. Now, what I want to do first is, you can see it on your outline, is you can see a few things that you should not do in anticipation of an uncertain future. Sometimes it's good to know what not to do, right? I mean, years ago, our oldest son, Aaron, had imbibed some, uh, some chemicals, <laughs> and I called poison control because he was all, you know, turning red and spewing and so forth. And I called poison control, and I told the woman what he had, uh, what he had drank, and, and she was reluctant to tell me what to do. And, and so I finally just said, well, tell me what not to do. And she said, well, do not induce vomiting, which was helpful because I pulled my finger out of his throat and <laughs> played it along from there. So sometimes it's really helpful to know what not to do. So let me just rehearse a few of those things first as we think about facing the future. The number one thing is don't presume on tomorrow, Write The word presume. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow for you do not know what that day may bring forth. And so James, in the New Testament, he kind of piggybacks on this thought, and he says, you know, a business person will say, tomorrow I'm going to go to a certain town, and I'm going to exchange goods and services and and make a lot of money, and he said, that may be your plans, but you shouldn't suggest that that's what you're going to do without including the phrase, the Lord willing to acknowledge that God's presence in my life is an important part of my life, and so I shouldn't presume on tomorrow. And if you live south of Mason-Dixon line, it's not the Lord willing, but it's the Lord willing and the creek don't rise. That's what I'm going to do. And so it's the same, same idea. And so we should always have that in mind. Presumption is planning without praying. Presumption is making plans for tomorrow without consulting God about it. And that's one thing to avoid because you want to include God in your planning so that you not presume on what you're going to do or have tomorrow second thing that we can avoid is don't panic. Don't panic about tomorrow. I love, uh, I love the, the, the notion that Christians should be the least anxious people in the world, the least fearful people in the word, world, the, the least worried people in the world. Do you agree with that? You know, I, I'm, I'm just not one, I wonder how we practice that, but I, I'm convinced that, that Christians should be the least anxious people in the world. I mean, after all, we have an enormous hope. We have have a promise which is sure. And this hope that we have is undefiled and fades not away. It's never diminished in any way. The best is yet to come, and we can say that with absolute certainty. And so Christians should be the least likely to get panicked about what's going to happen. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said, don't be anxious for tomorrow. He said, tomorrow will have its own worries. You live today. God will take care of you tomorrow. So trust God's goodness in your life. And don't panic, don't presume on tomorrow. Now here's the, here's the third, uh, the second thing is don't, don't panic. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. Not this week, not this month, not this year, give us this day. Now here's the third thing to avoid, and that is don't procrastinate until tomorrow. There's some things that you need to get done today, so don't put it off. Ecclesiastes 11:4 says, "If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done." I wonder how many. of I, I'm raising my hand first. Any pers- perfectionists in the room? Perfectionists. Yeah, there's a few of us around. We give order to the world. Without us, there would be nothing but chaos. Perfectionism uh, usually comes from one of our parents. I am the firstborn of a mother who was also a firstborn of four siblings. So my mother, my mother was her firstborn and had a lot of responsibility as the oldest in her family. I am her firstborn, so my mother was like this, and so that everything had to be done just right uh, with me. And so I have those perfectionistic tendencies. And what happens to us perfectionists is that we hesitate to start a project, and the reason we sometimes we sometimes procrastinate to begin something is because we know when we do something it won't be perfect and so we hesitate to even start it knowing that it's not going to come out perfect but let me ask you this question whatever comes out perfect nothing comes out perfect (laughs) nothing is ever perfect and so we have to get over that idea that it's going to be perfect and we've got to start a project in a timely fashion and then trust god to meaningfully coach us, teach us, instruct us, care for us in the process because life is all about process and so and so don't procrastinate so then the question is how do we then face an uncertain future you know the story Moses has been raised up by God as a deliverer to the nation of Israel they have been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years God now releases extricates these Jews out of Egyptian bondage And under the tutelage of Moses, they find themselves now in the desert of Sinai. They work their way all the way to the northern borders of the Sinai desert, to the edge of the land of Canaan, the land of promise, to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And from Kadesh Barnea, Moses sends out 12 spies. Remember the story? These 12 spies go out to check out this land of promise. They come back and they make a report. Ten of these guys says to Moses and the nation, the people, they said to them, you know, it's going to be tough. There are fortified cities. There are tribal peoples there and they are fierce and they've been there for a while and they're not going to give up their land easy and there are giants in the land. They're stronger, they're richer, they're more resourced, they're mightier than we are. We're in deep stuff. We don't think we can do it. And two of the spies, their names were Joshua and Caleb, same Joshua here reference. These two guys said, you know, look, God got us out of Egypt. If he could do that, he can do anything. And our, our, faith is, our faith is strong. We believe that God will deliver these enemies, these giants, into our hands. So these two guys gave a favorable report. But the preponderance of the evidence caused the people to faint and to fall back and to be discouraged and they decided we can't do it. God reads all of this and God says, "Well, look, here's my here's my response to your lack of trust and faith in me. I'm going to have to get rid of you guys." And so this 40 years of wandering in the Sinai desert begins to happen. And the reason these guys are wandering in the desert isn't so they can learn how to read a compass. The reason they're wandering in the desert is so the entire generation of those who came out of Egypt will pass. They'll die. And God says, I need a new generation that will be raised up who will have enough confidence in me that they can possess the land of Canaan. He actually takes Moses up on the mountainside and he says, look, he said, you're able to see a long distance from up here and you can see the land of promise, but you are never going to actually touch it because of the unbelief. And so Moses dies on the mountaintop and, and, and it says that God actually buried him. And there's reasons for that, I suppose. And so now, God goes to Joshua. Now, this isn't a messenger of God to Joshua. This isn't a prophet of God to Joshua. This isn't an angel that appears to Joshua. The Lord himself speaks to Joshua. And he says to him, here's the first thing he says, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. The mantle now rests on you. Here are the keys. Here's the keys. Here's the keys to the room. And Joshua's going, oh, man. Oh, brother. Oh, boy. And now Joshua is facing into an uncertain future. I mean, he's never led a nation before. He's never led an army before. He's never had this level of responsibility before. Now he's been an advisor and he's been second chair. There's a big difference between second chair and first chair. And so all of this weight, all and he knows that, the, that there are at least seven tribal cities in the land of Canaan with fortification, walled cities that he's going to have to overcome. And I mean you can imagine this might be overwhelming to a certain kind of person. And so, so Joshua now is f- trying to face in with as much courage and, and faith as he can into this very uncertain future. Have you ever been in an uncertain future? Have you ever faced into things? You're just not sure how this is going to turn out? Maybe some of you are in grief today. Your grief is so heavy, so poignant, I mean, it takes your breath away. You're so sad because someone or something precious to you has been lost. And you just don't know if you can go on. Some of you are at a crossroads today. You know that the decision you make now at this crossroads of your life is going to influence your life and your family for years to come, maybe generations to come. This is a big moment for you, and you know it. Some of you are faced with all kinds of uncertainty. Maybe it's in your job or maybe it's in a relationship. And you, if it was just you and I in a private moment, you might say to me, Pastor, you know, I just don't know how this is going to turn out. I, I can't tell what's going to happen. And this is the kind of moment that Joshua faced into. Now the weight, it's not just the work, it's not just the stress of it, but it's the weight of it the weight of the nation rests on him and he feels it man he's feeling it i mean who could blame him if if the next morning you know they wake up and they say where's joshua <laughs> joshua josh you in here josh you know there are tracks heading west out of town <laughs> he's gone he's out of here who would blame him wow what a deal and following moses He's following Moses. Who did you succeed? Moses. (laughs) Wow. Listen, let me just say, that's a tough job. That's a hard job. Really difficult. All kinds of uncertainty. And so now the Lord himself meets with Joshua and speaks to him. How many of you would would think, now whatever God tells him is probably going to be very helpful. It's going to be important. When God speaks to Joshua, tries to encourage him, put courage inside of him. Maybe what he says is something we ought to listen to, pay attention to. I just want to say to you, maybe you're in grief, maybe you're at a crossroads, maybe you're at a, a place of uncertainty in your life, but here's what I want to say to you. If you will apply the instructions that God gave to Joshua, if you'll do it, I guarantee you, you will make it. If you will apply, make the application, assimilate into your own life and your own attitudes, and your own practices, what God instructed Joshua to do. I guarantee 100% money back, guarantee you that you will become a success in life. If you'll do these things, I guarantee you, you will be a successful human being. Now, how many of you are interested in knowing what God said? Now, see, follow this now. I've got, there's just three things I want to point out. The first thing that he says to Joshua is this, set up a plan. Set up a plan. Write the word plan. Set up a prayerful plan for your life. It takes preparation. It takes, hear me now, it takes preparation to possess what God has promised you. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to work ahead. You're going to have to pray a little bit. You're going to have to think about this. Verses 2 and 3, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then, you and all these people, get ready. Get ready. Make a plan to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So it'll take some planning, it'll take some work. There'll be battles to fight, there'll be challenges to overcome, but you've got to get a plan set. Now, here's my question to you Do you have a plan? Do you have a life plan? You have a career plan, you have a financial plan, you have a budget. Some surveys indicate that only 3% of Americans actually have a plan of any kind. 3%. That's not very good, is it? And so here's what God says to Joshua. Listen, in order to deal with the uncertain future that you have, you're going to have to have a plan. And why would God say that? It's, it's pretty simple when you think about it in some kind of rational way, critical thinking you just, you go, look, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a goal, you don't have anything out in front, in front of you, then any road will get you there. Isn't that true? If you don't know where you're going, any old street will take you there, right? And so you've got to have some idea. 20 years ago in my life, I wrote a, read a book that, that was uh, very informative to me. It was a, a book written by a man named Stephen Covey. Most of you know this story, seven Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Sold tens of millions of copies. It's a very influential book. So I pick it up, I start reading it. One of the challenges in the book was everybody should develop a personal mission statement. I thought, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And so I, took, I actually took six months of my life to develop a personal mission statement. And I, I, I began by asking this, what are my core values? What do I value the most? What are my beliefs? What do I believe? I also asked the question, what are my primary relationships and the most important relationships in my life? Then I asked, what are my strengths, my talents, my gifts? How does God tend to use me? And then the fifth thing I did was I asked, what what is my sense of what God wants to do with my life? I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. I've been bought with a price. I used to be a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to righteousness and to God's God's pattern for my life, so I'm just going to give my life to Jesus, and what does Jesus want me to do? So I asked that question, and so I began to sort that out, and you know, it really helps when you intentionally ask these questions. What do I believe? What are my values? What are my primary relationships? And, you know, list them in the order of importance, and what are my strengths, my talents, my gifts? What has God given me in my experiences, my abilities, And and, and my personality that could be useful in his hands. And so just intentionally work through that. And then I came up with a mission statement. And this Stephen Covey said, you should do it in 30 words or less. And so I just kept working on it and chiseling it down until I got to 30 words. Now, if you're expecting some, you know, exalted language here, you'll be disappointed because I'm not really smart enough for that. But what what I did is I came up with this. This was 20 years ago. I've been living with this as my primary mission for 20 years now. And it was simply this to love God by being a faithful husband, a devoted father, spending my life serving Union Chapel Church, and faithfully proclaiming Christ wherever He gives me opportunity. That's it. Love God, love my primary relationships, love this church, love to preach Christ. That's it. that that allows me to say yes to all the opportunities that are in keeping with those priorities, that mission, and it allows me to say no to things that don't fit into that category. So there it is. You say, well, how, how has that been meaningful to you? Well, it reminds me that my love for God is the most important thing in my life. I don't want to keep my relationship with God fresh. I don't want to I don't want to veer off. I don't want to, I don't want to get out of, out of step, out of place. I, I want to honor primary relationships. Now, what I'm about to say, listen, you could take this wrong. I'm just telling you that this is the worldview through which I have lived my life. And if you hear me being judgmental of you or critical of you or suspicious of you, then you'll miss the point. I'm just telling you how I have lived my life. And this comes into this category of loving my wife, being faithful to her, and devoted to my children. And Lord knows I've made lots and lots of mistakes. But I have lived my life with this idea in mind, that if I failed with my family, then I would become a failure in life. That's just that's just how i've lived now i understand everybody has failure i have failure in my marriage i have failure in my parenting lots and lots of failures there have been many many times i would come home late at night usually you know one of those hectic seasons so many pressure points so many demands so many people tugging and pulling and i would go and and many times over the years not you know not every week but but on a on a, you know, the, the, the right moment, my wife would discern this, and I'd be sitting there, you know, in a dull stupor, having survived the day, and she would look at me, and this is what she would say, and I can quote her statement. She'll look at me, and she said, Greg, you can grow the biggest church in the world. You can reach more people for Jesus than anybody who's ever lived. But, he said, but she said, if you fail me and you fail our boys, you are a failure. any questions <laughs> and she's right she was right about that wasn't she nod your head like you know that's true she's right about that one day I got home and it was it was one of those seasons when I was just preoccupied with all all the above just like you can you get with your life and Aaron our oldest was nine years old he's about this tall I walked in the door one night. He walked right up to me. There was no guile in him. There's, there, there's, there's no mischief in him whatsoever. He looked up at me with kind of sad eyes, and he tugged on my shirt. I looked down at him, and he said to me, just as sincerely as a little guy can be, and he looked at me with sad eyes, and he said, Dad, are you ever going to be home again at night so we can play? Can you feel that? You can't feel it like I felt it. Let me tell you what I did that night. I looked down at my son and I said, yes, son, I will be home. So everybody has to make course corrections, don't they? Depending on the level of your failure, you start making course corrections. But let's not dumb down the standard, the expectation. Let's keep the expectation where it is, which is if I fail at my family, then I'm a failure. Let's keep it there. And then let's respond to it, depending on where we find ourselves in our story. And so that just becomes a value for me, becomes part of the plan. That's my goal. That's where I'm headed. That's my direction. I want to get to the end of this thing and, and be able to hear somebody say, you know, there's a guy who was faithful to his wife all the way to the end. Let me ask you something. Is that easy? Oh, I've got a whole nother sermon ready or series ready for that one. I can't, don't get me started. (laughs) Nobody said it was easy. None of this. You have to be strong. You have to be courageous. Well, verses 10 and 11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get ready. Get your supplies ready. Get your inventory ready. Get your weapons ready. Get ready. Because we're about to cross over. Three days, we're going over. Three days, we'll be an enemy. As soon as we step across that little stream right there, the Jordan, we'll be an enemy territory. You, you best get ready. Proverbs twenty eighteen says, don't go charging into battle without a plan. Now, when you hear it that way, you go, well, yeah. How irresponsible would it be for you to go into some kind of conflict, some kind of battle? What if the United States military decided to, to go into World War II, but nobody had any plans? What are we going to do? I don't know. we just kind of make it up as we go. What are you, nuts? You can't lead. Get out of that chair. I mean, and we would all agree to that, right? And yet we live our lives without a plan, without any direction, without any goals in mind. Come on. So he told Joshua to get him ready. Proverbs 16, 9. We should make plans and counting on God to direct them. Facing the future without anxiety, with hope, with a sense of success requires making a prayerful plan. All right, set up a plan. Here's the second thing that he tells to Joshua, and that is submit to the Scriptures. Now listen, I'm not making this up. You would say, well, this is just a preacher's sermon. You know, you ought to read your Bible and do it. Watch this, though. Remember, this is a guy with an uncertain future. This is a guy who doesn't know what's going to happen next. He needs to be encouraged. He needs to be given some hope. He needs to be be, uh, emboldened with a sense of purpose. And God says to him in verse 7, be strong and courageous. He uses that phrase three different times. Be strong and courageous because in order to follow God's God's will and plan for his life, he's going to have to be strong and he's going to have to have courage, just like you are going to have to have strength and courage in order to cross the Jordan rivers in your life. Because if you're not strong and courageous, you'll you'll turn away, you'll turn back. So if you want to be a success in life, facing the future with strength and hope and faith and integrity, you've got to submit to the ways of God and you have to submit to the words of God. Don't get sidetracked from God's word. Don't get sidetracked from God's ways. He said to Joshua, Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. And friends, that's the temptation, isn't it? You see, a potential relationship, you know, she sure is nice. He sure is handsome. She sure looks like the one that I'd like to have. And so, well, she's, I, I, Lord, if you don't, I know I'm on the way. I, I know I'm in your word, but I'm, just gonna, I'm going off on the, to the right here just for a minute. And once I, once I capture this relationship, I promise I'll come right back. And people deviate off to the right. Mm. A, a business person sees a business opportunity and they know that this association, this partnership, it's not, you know, I'm not sure it's all above board. I'm not sure, you know, that guy's completely honest. You know, the, the disclosures is a little uncertain about, but, but the capital's so great. Boy, I'm going to make so much money. I promise God, once I come back, I'll have all this money. Think of the people I can help, Lord. When I have all this money, I can give it, help the church. I'm just going to, I promise I'll come back. I'm just going to, I'm going off to the left here just for a minute. Mm-mm. God spoke to Joshua and he said, Don't you veer off. Don't you turn to the right. Don't you turn to the left. Don't you get off course. My my ways are the best way. My word is the best way. My way is the only way. You stay faithful. In verse 8 it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything within it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Do you see the cause and effect? The cause and effect? God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. That's what God's... Saying to Joshua, you've got to stay and stand on the truth and the promises of the word that has been given. And so he said to Joshua, look, as I promised Moses, every place where the sole of your foot treads, that's land that I'm going to give to you. So wherever you walk, brother, wherever your feet land, that's land I'm going to give you. And no man is going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Wow. Big wow. It's a big wow. But he, but he said, don't deviate. Don't get off the course because God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. So you want to be prosperous? You want to be successful? Listen, if I ask you this morning, if you, how many of you want to be so poor when you die, so pitiful when you die that your family barely has enough money to buy a shovel so they can throw dirt on you after you're dead? Anybody want that? Want to sign up for that? so pitiful so puny so so out of touch with with, with the way the world works how, how many of i said to you you know how many of you want to be such a failure in life so much of a failure that you fail at everything i mean you're just consistently a failure you fail in relationships you fail in your work you fail in your own personal spiritual development you, you as a human being you fail anybody want to sign up for that Just, you know, epitaph on your gravestone, this boy was a failure. Anybody want that? When you ask it that way, you say, Well, come on, don't be silly. Nobody wants that. We all want to be prosperous. We all want to be successful. Well, listen to the instructions. The only way God can guarantee that you're going to be prosperous and successful if you follow God's word and you follow God's ways. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. You want to be prosperous? You want to be successful in life? God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. God's way is actually the best. The best way. God's way, as it turns out, For ultimate fulfillment, ultimate meaning, prosperity and success, God's way is the only way. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. Don't be sad about that. Be glad that that He's provided a way. Don't be upset that there isn't 50 ways. Just be thankful He's provided a way. There's a way that has been made for us. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. You want to find happiness? You want to find meaning, significance, prosperity, success in life? God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. I'm guessing you're going to remember that. (laughs) Most people don't remember a thing I say, but I bet you remember some of this. You want to say it with me? Just say it after me because some of you haven't been listening. (laughs) Right after me. God's way is the best way. way. God's way is the only way. Do you believe it? I want you leaving here today believing that. Because this is how you will find prosperity and this is how you will find success. I guarantee it. So don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. In other words, say the scriptures. Speak it to one another. That's why, that's why small groups are so important because you sit in a face-to-face fellowship and you talk about the Bible with one another. And it has a transformative power. Releases the power of God in your life to transform your life, the way you think, the way you act, the way you behave, the way you react. It changes you because the word of God is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. piercing. Into the soul. It's a powerful thing. He said, "Speak it. Meditate on it. Think about it. How to meditate on the word? Come on, pastor. I don't know how to meditate on the Bible. Do you know how to worry? If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate on the Bible. What is worry? Worry is nothing but thinking about what, what, what happens if. What if what if this happens tomorrow? What if that happens tomorrow? What if what if this pain in my side is? Oh, it's a bit. It's the big one." You know how that goes, right? That's worry. Well, you know how to meditate when you can't think of anything but bad news and bad outcomes? That's worry. Well, how about rather than thinking about that, learning the promises of God. I'm with you wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever the foot of your your soul or your feet treads, that's the land you're going to possess. No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I'm with you no matter what. You can trust on this, Joshua, and I'm with you. I promise... Joshua, and I'm promising it to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How about dwelling on that? Meditating on that? Thinking about that? God told Joshua, speak these words. Communicate them. Don't let them depart from your mouth. Meditate on my word so you'll be careful to do it. And you say, I you know, Greg, you know, I should read the Bible and try to practice it more. But, you know, my life is so so hectic. I'm so... So busy. And I I get it. You know, everybody's busy, right? I mean, your calendars are booked from now till Christmas. You don't have a spare hour somewhere. So It's just hard to fit that in. Yeah, you're probably right. You're a lot busier than Joshua would have been. I mean, he only had a nation to run and an army to lead against superior forces every time he turned around. Didn't have anything else to think about. But you know what he did? He did it. God said, submit to my scripture. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Do not let it depart from your mind. Do not let it depart from your practice. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Wow. I'm helping somebody right now. If If you'll plug this in. Let me put this statement on the screen so you don't forget. Maybe you'll remember it. God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. Did you get it? Yes. Say yes. yes. My God, pastor, yes, we got it. Please, move on. Last thought, it's this, step out in faith. Step out in faith it means doing as you trust. That's why three times be strong and courageous. Why, why would God say to Joshua, now you're going to have to be strong. And courageous, you're going to, have to be strong and very courageous. Now, now remember, you got to be strong and courageous. If you flinch, you're dead. You can't flinch. You have to be strong and courageous. Yeah. And so if you're not strong and courageous, then you'll hesitate, won't you? You won't. You won't follow through. Verse nine says, "Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged." What does fear do to our lives? You all know what fear does. Fear. Paralyzes us, doesn't it? God says, "This is the way. Walk in it. Take this next step." But fear, if fear gets a hold of your heart, then you just go, "I can't. No, I, I don't. I can't see the, my way through that. I, I can't imagine going there with them doing that. I, no, I can't." So fear will keep you from taking a first step. Fear will stop you from starting down God's best plan for your life. So God says, "Don't be afraid." Don't don't let fear be the determinative factor in a major decision in your life. No, no, never ever. Don't let fear keep you from starting. What does discouragement do? Discouragement keeps you from continuing. Once you've started, discouragement can throw you off and you say, I just that's it. You know, I give up, you know. White flag, you know, I tried my best, man. I just can't I can't. I started this, but I can't finish it. So discouragement. Discouragement keeps us from hitting the finish line. Fear will keep us from starting. Discouragement will keep us from finishing. And so God says to Joshua, and he says to all of us, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. He said, I am with you wherever you go. The promise to us is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's how human psychology works. Works like this for you, works like this for me. This is what we think. We think that if we're good, God is close to us. And if we're bad, God drifts off. That's not true. That's not true. The truth is, God said, I'll never leave you. I don't care if you're good or bad. You say, Pastor Greg, I'm not a very good Christian. We already know that. (laughs) We've been watching. We get it. You're not not doing all that good. But listen, it doesn't matter. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you no matter what. He said, I will never leave you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So you be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you wherever you go. Let Let me just say his way is the best way. His way is the only way. Let me share with you my wife's favorite verse in the Bible, Philippians 4.13. Some of you will find it familiar. I'll put it on the screen for you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say that together. Ready? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe it? I do too. Now, as you face an uncertain future remember that God's way is best and he is with us. He's with us. And he's strengthening us that no matter what the future presents to us, we can do so with courage and with hope and with an awareness that God is with us and that he is going to provide for us everything we need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that your way is so good, that it's it's the best. Your word is true. Your promises are true. And we can rely on them. Lord, we confess our weakness. We hear the prophet today reminding us that the youth grow weary and tired. Even young men will stumble and fall. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, will mount up with wings like eagles, will run and not grow weary, will walk and not faint. So encourage us today, O God. Help us to see these instructions, to make a plan for our lives and then begin to live in that plan, to submit to your truth, your promises, your word, your ways, so that we have our steps ordered and our direction set. And then, Lord, help us to walk by faith, strong and courageous, without fear or discouragement, because you are with us. You are with us. Thank you, God. Your way is the best way. You are with us, and the best is yet to come. For all of these things we give thanks, and the people said, amen.